Welcome to the Share Life Podcast with Jason Scott Montoya, where we explore stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another special edition of the Share Life Podcast. We're in an ongoing series as part of the discovery process for my next book project, From the Garden to the Cross, How Jesus's Harrowing Mission Shows Us the Way. In this discussion today, we're reflecting on the moments when Jesus was nailed to the cross between two rebel criminals, his first several spoken words as he hung, and the mocking he received while being publicly humiliated. For those just now following along, this event takes place after Jesus' agonizing prayer in the garden, his middle-of-the-night arrest, the betrayal by Judas, a night of scheming to find a way to sentence Jesus to death by the religious leaders, the three denials of Peter, the death of Judas, Pilate asking Jesus about truth, Herod directing Jesus to entertain him and his guests, Pilate washing his hands of responsibility on the matter, and Simon carrying the cross Jesus could no longer bear. In this conversation, we'll read and discuss my harmonization of the story from the different accounts of Jesus's life, and then we'll explore the story through the following questions. What can we learn about Jesus, humanity, and ourselves from this monumental moment in time, and how does this event apply to our lives today? For this episode, I'm joined by three friends, Allison, Toby, and Len. Allison, say hello. Hi, everyone. Allison Miller is an author who is pointing women towards Jesus while also mentoring them on how to practically flourish in their life, relationships, and their dreams. Toby, say hello. Hi, everybody. Toby is uh, Bloomberg is a consultant, collaborator, public speaker, and fellow freelancer. She works with organizations to help them empathize with their customers and effectively communicate through social marketing channels. Len, say hello. Hello. Len Wickberg is an author, strategic mind, multimedia designer for the Children's Education Institute, a former employee of Noodlehead Marketing, my cousin, and someone leaving this world better than when he arrived. So let's, without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen as I read this passage so you can follow along. And uh, so let me do that. Well, uh, all right, tell me that you can see my screen here on the edge of death here. Good to go? Yeah. All right, so this comes from uh, different passages within Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, and I've harmonized those. There's certain things that are uh, not entirely clear as to the order or the details, so I've had to make some decisions (laughs) on these. And we can certainly discuss any of that if, if any of that comes comes up for any of y'all. So without further ado, let me go ahead and read the passage. Upon arrival at Golgotha, they nailed Jesus to the cross. The two criminals were also crucified on a cross to the left and right of Jesus. Now nailed to the cross, Jesus spoke. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. After completing their work, the Roman soldiers vied for Jesus' clothes by throwing dice to determine the recipient. He also took his woven and seamless robe and cast lots. This event fulfilled the scripture from Psalm 22, 18. They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. At nine in the morning, Jesus was crucified with the sign above him, per Pilate's direction, announcing his crime, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Since the place of the crucifixion was near the city and the words of the sign were written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so all could read it. The religious leaders objected to the wording on the sign and appealed to Pilate for a change. Change it from king of the Jews to, he said, I am king of the Jews. Unswayed by their request, Pilate responded, no. What have I written? What I have written, I have written. 
With Jesus in the center, the other two revolutionaries hung beside him. The Roman soldiers sat around keeping guard as Jesus hung on the cross. As people passed by the tragic scene, they shouted and mocked the suffering Jesus. Ha, look at you now. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then save yourself and come down from the cross. The religious leaders also scoffed and mocked Jesus. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The Roman soldiers joined in on verbally abusing Jesus as they offered him a drink of sour wine. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. One of the two revolutionaries beside Jesus joined in on the insults towards Jesus. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. The other hanging criminal defended Jesus. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Turning to Jesus, the criminal spoke directly to him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Before her son, now hanging from the cross, was Jesus' mother, Mary. Alongside her were Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Seeing his mother standing beside his beloved disciple, John, he spoke the following, Dear woman, dear woman, here is your son. And to his disciple he spoke, here is your mother. John took his director from Jesus, caring for Mary as his own mother from that day forward. All right, let me, so lots going on here. Uh, there's a lot to, to, to reflect on and to relate to. I think I'll, I'll pick something a little more obscure so I don't steal any of your alls, but I, the idea that the, the religious leaders, well, first of all, we're talking about these religious leaders who have essentially killed this man. <laughs> so there's an irony there. They go to Jesus about this sign, this King of the Jews sign to change it. And Pilate tells them, no, it's like he finally stood up to them <laughs> when he failed to do so earlier. And that that's, that's something that's, that's been interesting for me to think about. Uh, Allison, what, what sticks out for you? What, what do you connect with when you, uh, when you hear this part of the story? Um, there were two really big points that I connected with. Um, number one, he talked about how, you know, the crowd that was surrounding Jesus was mocking him. The Roman soldiers were mocking him. The religious leaders were mocking him and making fun of him. And um, even one of the two criminals that were on the cross was yeah. doing the same thing. So all these people were um, surrounding him while he was on the cross near death and they were verbally abusing him and not just verbally, there was some physical abuse going on as well. Yeah. And the first words that Jesus spoke out of all of this was father, forgive them yeah. for they know not what they do. And for me, that just uh, really spoke to what the heart of Jesus is, his, his love and his mercy um, for people. And it didn't necessarily mean that those people were forgiven, I don't think, but um, it definitely showed us from my perspective, the heart of Jesus and who he yeah. is. Yeah. And that's a pretty, uh, the di it's a pretty profound thing to say something like that to the people that are 
literally killing you it's torturing and killing you as it happens yeah. I, I think to a point where I, I don't even know that i fully grasp what what's going on there yeah same yeah i totally can concur with that jason i mean i can't comprehend it i think personally we go through a lot of things in our lives and um I don't think the words out of our mouth. I mean, they're, they're not even close to yeah. death. Okay. Yeah. And, but I don't think 90% of the yeah. time, the words out of our mouth or father, forgive them. Yeah. I, and, in fact, it's, it's the opposite. It's like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> vengeance is mine. <laughs> right, know? right, right. So, so um, yeah. that was one thing that really, really stood out to me. Um, and then the other thing was, um, where in John, it talked about the three Marys um, yeah. being at the cross and Jesus looking down and, and calling to her and saying woman, which by the way, I did a little research and that was a very revered way to address women at that time. Yeah. Um, well, fun, and, fun, fun fact. I call my wife woman because of that. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> that's awesome. I was like, well, if Jesus says that, then I can say it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I loved how, you know, he addressed, uh, he addressed his mother and told her that um, John was now her son and that um, he addressed John and said that Mary was now his mother. And I think that during that culture, what I understand is that the oldest male child took care of um, any family member that was left behind if there was no one else. And Joseph had already passed by this time. And so because Jesus was on the cross and he was about to pass, he assigned John, not any of his family members, he assigned John to the task and entrusting his mother with John's care. And, you know, that was profound to me because it, it, it really helped me to understand more about number one, how he saw our family, the yeah. family of God. And uh, number two, how he trusted John to care for him and knew that he would be faithful to care for him because he was his disciple and because he loved him. Yeah. But number three, you know, his brothers, nobody else in his family yet had become a disciple or um, a believer to follow Jesus at that time. And so because they had not, mm -hmm. he did not feel free to entrust Mary to them. So I thought that yeah. was a, a very profound Mm. So I would be curious to, to dive into that deeper in regards to your own personal story in, in the way that you may relate to Mary in that same regard. But before we do that, I'd like to give uh, Toby a chance and Len. So we'll come back around. But Toby, what, what are, uh, when you hear this, when you see this, what sticks out for you? Well, Actually, the, the conversation that you were just having with Allison um, was something that I was thinking about. And from just a little different point of view, more of a personal point of view, and that's the women taking care of people who are ill, who are dying. And from my own personal experience, 
um, that's who took care of my family. There were male relatives who were very much loved and loving, but it was the women that took care of, of my mom and my dad and my sister when they died. And um, my, um, my dear friend, one of my best friends, her sister just passed Sunday. And it, again, it was her women friends that took care of her. She had a couple of male friends that came in to visit, but the people that spent the most time with her, the people that were the most caring were the women. So that was very interesting for, for me to think about. Um, and then going on to, again, what Allison said about leaving the, um, the care of Mary in the hands of a non-family member. I didn't really think about that, but the more I think about it, the more I think in my friend's situation, most of the people that took care of her sister were not blood relatives, they were friends. And so they were the people that took care of her while she was going through this horrible illness. Mm -hmm. Very, very yeah. interesting. Well, and that's, that's interesting because I have a friend who is, is, is in a similar case where her family, there's a tension between her and her family, but it was people at her church that, that wanted to help her. And she, uh, she almost kind of res even resisted a little bit, but they wanted to help her. They're like, we like to be with you. We like to be blessed by helping you. And so it was a really interesting thing for her to share that with me. Yeah. I, I just found that really, um, very heartwarming and, and very relevant to my own experiences. Um, the other notes that I have was that um, people sort of, I got the sense that people were talking about the fear of dying, the fear of death, not necessarily Jesus, but other people around him, I just got that sense. And so that's a big question that a lot of people grapple with at the point in their life, just as they're going into that type of a situation, not necessarily before, at least my friends, we push yeah. it aside and we say, we'll, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> but when you're in the moment, hmm. then it's a different story. And, and one other thing, which is sort of strange, but perhaps not really, when the, um, when the guards were, were playing dice for his for his um, garments, garments and yeah. I, I couldn't help but think how many families somebody has gone, somebody has parted. There's so much conflict about the little things that that person owned that you wouldn't have even paid attention, forget the big dollars, but mm -hmm. a painting or a, a pillow or something. And yeah. so there's the conflict there that comes out even within the family unit once a person dies. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I've seen families uh, completely torn apart by that inheritance dynamic, yeah. and it, it's almost like, who were these people? Because before they they were very different. And the other thing that's really interesting about what you said in terms of the death factor that came to my mind, and I don't know if this is there or if this is just me kind of connecting the dot, but in a way, Jesus was representing death he was death on a cross and I get a sense that by mocking him, it was almost like mocking death itself. Hmm. Right. I don't, if I mock death, then, then I don't have to face it. I don't have to die. I don't have to suffer. Right. Although with, it doesn't really do anything because we're going to die anyway, but 
there is something about that dynamic that what you said made me think about that it's a it's a it's a heavy resistance towards death itself does that make sense absolutely yeah len what would you add add to this uh the big thing that when i was looking over this sections of the verses and such um just how much this is like prophesied in the old testament and stuff books that was a big thing for me um in exodus in psalms in isaiah in in um even uh, what was some of the other ones uh, jeremiah exactly. and some other parts of the story I mean, son. yeah and so and just how descriptive they get into the prophecy of what happens and such. So, um, and I guess I need to ask too, what section are we actually talking about <laughs> again? Which section of? Well, when we started asking the conversation, started the conversation. Oh, so out about, of what we read, like what, if, what from this passage just resonated with you or stuck out with you? Just yeah. as a, regardless of which part of it, I'll go through each part. We can kind of dive into each part and discuss it. But if there was something yeah. that stuck out for you, just go big, straight to big it. Thing to like what Allison was saying, the father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Um, that's a big one for me as well, that I always try to make sure I reflect on myself. Um, like when I don't realize what I'm doing, am I hurting someone because I don't realize it? Am I beating up on someone because I don't realize it uh, verbally, mentally. I mean, who knows? So that's something I have to pray about and make sure I'm aware of a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, yeah, that's really important because, I mean, I can personally relate to that in, in two ways. One is I've hurt people along my own journey and didn't know that I was doing it at the time. Or perhaps it was maybe there, but I kind of suppressed it. And it wasn't until later when I reflected on it, where I was like, yeah, that's something that I did that was wrong. And, and that's something that I need to reconcile. And then on the, on the flip side, and this is probably where we probably get more passionate about it is when it's done to us and that person doesn't see it as, as, as uh, an offense to us, yeah. even if we're telling them, or even if we're communicating it and they either dismiss it or do something else. And so, yeah, those are, that's an interesting dynamic. And I, it's a hard one to wrestle with because it, it, for a variety of reasons, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. And when it's, when you're doing to some, something to someone, cause you think you're trying to help them or point them in the right direction or something. And you don't realize what you're doing is actually hurting them. You think you're doing good for someone but you're hurting yeah. them. That, that's a big thing I see in, in just with what everything mm -hmm. that's going on and with everything, again, that is in the Old Testament of all the, everything that was said of what's going to happen to Jesus on the cross and all this section is huge. I don't know if it's one of the biz, biggest, biggest, most areas that can be compared to the Old Testament of prophecy that's been talked about but um there is so much it's crazy <laughs> it yeah. goes back to it yeah um i know too that 
this is a big section also that's debated about a lot because it's not in uh, early manuscripts. This is actually the, added later. Which for which the part? father forgive me. Oh, okay. And so, <clears throat> so I've been looking into some of that and trying to research that. It's been very interesting. But a lot of people they still say, you know, it could have been a couple of things that it just was not added in at the time at first because. I mean, it says in the Bible, in one of the, I think it might be in John, but it says like, if everything was written that Jesus said, we'd have too much to read. We wouldn't be able to yeah. read everything that happened. So they're saying, so a lot of people and scholars still say that this is still relevant, even though it's not in those early manuscripts. And it's really one of the big uh, one of the biggest things of scripture that's ever been, that's really impactful. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. What else, anything else that, uh, that you would add to that? And, and I, I guess at this point, you know, um, I'll keep, keep us going through the passage and reflecting on it. But if you have questions or if you want to piggyback, just jump right in, uh, go ahead and, uh, and feel free to ask questions of each other. Um, but otherwise I'll, I'll keep it, keep it going. So I'd like to guess dive well, in. A little I was going to say yeah. real quick. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul talks about in first Timothy, he goes, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ in my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Yeah. And, and I, that was one of the things I was going to make a comment on is I read the book, uh, or the Gulag Archipelago, and he says in it, a paraphrasing, people that are that do evil things have justified that evil as good. And mm -hmm. Paul is a, a Saul of Tarsus before he was converted. He was a perfect example of that. He was doing what he thought was God's will, and yet he was su causing suffering and death across all of these Christians. And then he yeah. becomes one. <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty profound to, to, to kind of wrestle with that idea. And, yeah. and I think what's hard about life and as well as this passage and, and Christ's experience overall is that we are both the victim and, and the perpetrator where it's not a black and white thing. It's, it's complicated, complex. And in, in the fact that we hurt others and others hurt us. And I think we can become self-righteous and think that we're better than other people really easily. Um, and and that yeah. can actually lead us yeah go ahead because we put so much time into trying being good okay yeah so going deeper on that what do you mean oh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it just came to me when you were talking but yeah because we spend a lot of time trying to be good but yeah. god but, and and we need to stop when jesus came to someone and he healed them and such he said don't sin anymore he didn't say don't uh he didn't say go to try to be good yeah we are to be good as much as possible and be imitators of him yeah and reflect him but well Jesus, so i we're not supposed to we're supposed to be focusing on not sinning and hurting others hurting ourselves hurting trespassing against god and such that yeah. helps me a lot more mm. because when i'm doing good i'm also building a lot of self-righteousness i can get trapped yeah. in that arrogance so i i got this quote from carl jung the other day jung jung how do you say it so carl jung said 
when one tries desperately to be good and wonderful and perfect, then all the more the shadow develops a definite will to be black and evil and destructive. People cannot see that. They are always striving to be marvelous. And then they discover that terrible destructive things happen when they cannot understand. And they either deny that such facts have anything to do with them, or if they admit them, they take them for natural afflictions, or they try to maximize them and shift the responsibility elsewhere. The fact is, is that if one tries beyond one's capacity to be perfect, the shadow descends into the hell and becomes the devil. So that was kind of ex what you were saying in a way. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jason, to bounce off of that, perfect means so many different things to, to mm. people. And I bring up this because last night I saw Hamilton. I, and if you have okay, yeah. seen the, the it, musical. It's amazing. Yeah, my wife watches it like every day. Yeah, so. <laughs> the musical, and it's playing right now at the Fox. Oh, and, okay. Oh, really? Ah, well, then you, yeah. But yeah, one I'll of the things, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a tragic, tragic story, but Hamilton's passion and his cause was to, to bring the United States of America to life. And because it was so, he had blinders on, he didn't see the harm, going back to what Len was saying, he didn't see the harm that he was causing to people around him. He didn't see how it was impacting his own family. Mm. He just wanted to do this one thing. And it, it actually ended up in ruination of, of him and his family and, and almost the, the country. Yeah. So absolutely, yeah. Len. Wow. Allison, what would you throw into this conversation? Well, just to reflect a little bit on my own life and how I can connect with all of this trying to be good stuff and where it leads you. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think I lived the first part of my life before really. Um, knowing Jesus, um, trying to be a good person and trying to do things perfectly, like Toby said, and that clearly there are different definitions for that. But um, I always had compassion for other people and what they were going through. But I was probably doing worse things than what they were doing. <laughs> but, but what yeah. happened, you know, after really seeking to know the Lord and and continuing that journey every day, um, I found that I don't really have to strive to be good. Um, I just and put my trust in him to help me. Now, I'm not going to say there aren't times where, um, you know, you're in a situation and something happens with someone like I mean I can just talk about coaching situations and even my own personal life but you know when you're coaching someone and they have someone on the outside of that real coaching relationship that is bringing harm to them you know how do you coach them through that um, yeah. are you going to want to to guide them to be resentful toward those people or are you going to want to help them understand what, you know, those people just really don't even understand, like Jesus said, what they're doing. And even if they do understand what they're doing, even if we 
you know, have people in our life that are bringing harm to us and they do understand what they're doing. Um, I think it's um, a call in our lives to forgive. And um, that's not always easy. Um, it's, it's, it sometimes can be a year, years of a process for people because there are some very heinous things that are done to people. But what I go back to in that is that there has never been anything compared to, you know, that I've gone through or anybody else on this earth compared to what Jesus went through on the cross. And so, um, you know, I always take my thoughts back there. Well, this is nothing compared to what Jesus went through. This is nothing. And it, it comes out of that relationship. It comes out of that. What, um, what does that give you by going there? What do you um, get out of that? Like, or what does it, what does it provide? Well, it gives me a few things, but the first thing is, is that I don't, I don't have to be in control of that. I can release that. I can allow um, God, you know, God is the one that has justice, not me. And so it gives me the freedom, I think, to live more in alignment with the way that I'm designed to live. Um, it gives me a peace and a confidence to know that, you know, I'm, <laughs> I really don't know the best way to manage this. And I don't know what those people are going through. And I don't know. So, but God knows because he's all seeing and all knowing. And so, you know, to, to trust him, I don't have to be the fix it person. I don't have to be the perfect person. Um, I am human. And, um, but as long as I'm yielding and leaning back into, uh, what he calls me to do and, it, and it's for good, it's for my own goodness. You know, I don't mean I'm good. I mean, it is for my good because he tells us that's what he's always working for yeah. so when we when we listen to him and you know lean into that and follow what he calls us to I think that we experience a a freedom and I think too that the more things that come at you the more you're able to do that as you do it. And I mean, they can be really horrific. I mean, I will just, you know, without giving detail, share that in the last year, um, it has been revealed to us that something that I believed to be true, um, I mean, 30 years ago, something that I believed to be so true and I fought so hard. I went down legal avenues. I fought so hard for somebody to listen to me and nobody would listen. And there were heinous, heinous, heinous things happening to someone I love. And it Real, it only came out this year and the truth was revealed in that that has been a year of me understanding forgiveness more and more and more um i released myself from having to 
be the one that goes to that person and like I I knew I told you so I knew that what you were doing I release myself from being their judge um I free myself to pray for them um and for God to work in their life so I also think you know when I think about that part of forgiveness is for us for the person that has been you know that has something that they're holding against someone um and when we release them out of our hands they're also being forgiven yeah and as part of that like there is an ang i would imagine being angry at god for allowing it so how how do you reconcile that part of it I don't think I felt angry at God. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt angry more at people that wouldn't listen. Okay. Um, But I've reconciled that. Yeah. And, you know, there, there is going to be an ongoing journey of healing for this person that I dearly love. Um, And it will take, you know, it will take a miracle for it to happen any quicker than we want it to. Yeah. But it, but it is happening. And, um, I love that because I see God's faithfulness in it. And I know that only if I had my relationship with the Lord has impacted that person's relationship with the Lord. Yeah. The one that was hurt and they have been able to go to the Lord with that. And, put their faith and confidence and trust in him for healing yeah and the right people coming in to help that so with that said you know it's just another i think level or layer of what forgiveness can do in in our lives yeah Hmm. Allison, how does that make you feel? Sad. I'm sad. Uh, I've grieved. I'm probably still grieving. Um, it's it's a sadness that can only be felt from a mother, and. Um, the other side of that, though, Toby, is that I'm so thankful that the truth was revealed. And, uh, you know, God tells us in his word that the truth will always be revealed. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have to be us that do it. He will mm-hmm. orchestrate circumstances to make things happen that, you know, the truth bubbles up and that's exactly what happened in our situation mm-hmm. so i guess that's where you asked me you know about being angry jason no i'm not angry i'm thankful because a, a level of healing has started taking place that never would have happened mm-hmm. if we didn't know yeah yeah
I guess one, one of the things I want to dive into, Toby, if you have anything to, to, to add to this, but the because you mentioned the death, kind of facing death earlier. And I was thinking about this recently, and I realized how protected we are from death, from seeing death. Now, we do hear about it in the news and sort of as an intellectual thing, but I mean, like, literally seeing death. And I was thinking about it. I've only, I've only been to one funeral that I can remember um, that, that I saw the person there. And then my great grandmother, when she died, I saw her about an hour before she died. And, but outside of that, like, and I, I, I was kind of surprised at just how shielded I was from it. And I don't know what, what would you, I, th I think there's something to, to, to be said about just the, in a Roman world, death was everywhere. I mean, obviously the crucifixion was an example of like, these people are hanging dead on a pole, but that was just one of many things that was going on at that time and plagues and death. And I don't know, what, is there anything you would say to that or add to that? Um, I, I guess I would say that children growing up on a farm or in the country, mm -hmm. Have, have more of an experience than people growing up in an urban area. Yeah. Um, and then it, also I think that perhaps, and we don't see this as much anymore, but it's, it's coming back because of the way um, society is right now. Um, but people growing up in a multi-generation household mm -hmm. where the grandparents or the great grandparents are, are living with you. Yeah. Those are the, the small children that will experience death and hopefully see it as a natural progression. Um, it's, it's still difficult. Um, when my mom died, I wasn't in the room with her, which the situation was sort of interesting. Um, I was so afraid that she would wake up in the middle of the night and there wouldn't be anybody next to her to, to help her or give her something that she needed. I didn't think about her dying, but just something that she would need. And so I literally slept in the bed next to her for several weeks. And then one night I just was so tired and I slept on the couch because I wasn't getting very good rest. That was the night she died when I wasn't oh there next to her. And some, I get goosebumps and somebody said to me, well, Toby, maybe she didn't want to, to pass with you next to her. Maybe she knew that it would be too hard for you to deal with there. Yeah. So I don't know, but, but that that's interesting. But I was next to my sister, Jason, when mm. she passed and we knew that it was coming. The nurses hadn't gotten there yet, but it was, was a really, I don't know the word, horrible, strange. I mean, when they talk about the death rattle, I was there when she took her final breath. And it was like, I had multiple emotions. I mean, I felt like somebody had taken a knife and stabbed it inside me and pulled everything out. And at the same time, I was grateful that she wasn't in pain any longer. So all these mixed emotions come, come with death. But going back to what I just said, if people are living in multi-generation homes, they have an, an opportunity to see the progression of life as well as the end of life. Yeah. So 
that might, going back to, to the beginning of our conversation, maybe that is a truth that yeah. we'll need to understand as well. Yeah. So how do you, you, you've had all these experiences how do you reconcile them? How do you what? How do you look? How do you frame them? Like, do you see them as like? How do they shape you as a person? You know, that's a really good question, and I I think I I think I bury them, and every once in a while they pop out. I don't know if I've ever really dealt with them. I don't know if you ever really deal with something like that. I mean, people that are in wars and have seen. Um, their fellow soldiers fall next to them um, have told me, yeah, you get over it, but it always comes back if you're that close to somebody and you actually see it. So to answer your question, Jason, I don't have an answer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, it does color me. It does. I look at the world through a slightly different lens now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's made me a better person or <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but um I just, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, it's a really, really good question. Yeah. Yeah. Lan, anything you want to add to that before I jump into the next topic here? I, uh, there was a time that I had a lot of a heart and heart towards God kind of going off back before with what you were talking about with Allison. I mean, asking Allison, but, but I had the, I had the, I went the route of my heart got it getting hard over six years of prayer, not being answered. And, and through it, it's kind of interesting. It comes back again to this, you know, father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God revealed to me in scripture, the core issue I was having. So I, th I was upset that my prayer wasn't being answered in a certain way, but God was working on my heart and he revealed what really was the issue Okay. Um, at that time. And it, um, I didn't, I, I didn't review that. I, I got to, I know I have kind of journals about it, but that I haven't re even reviewed yet. Kind of talking to about <laughs> stuff coming up. Um, kind of I've buried that too but I know that there's but it but God in that instant still he gave me a heart of flesh again hmm. um and all of this it's kind of interesting too it's just something I really see big in all this is you know the gospel you know we don't know what we're doing and so we don't we don't realize it and then when we realize that we're sinners <laughs> We need to repent and come to Jesus about about it and put our trust and faith in him. Um, but yeah, not much else. Well, I guess what would you, because you, you, uh, you would, was it sir, simply uh, a level of, well, let me ask this. Why did you resist your part of that for so long? Resist what part? Sorry. Well, you said, you know, you, you prayed for six years and then you realized that there was something in you God was working on. So that implies that you weren't going to work on that during those six years. So I'm curious, I, what was that an, like an obvious thing or was it just, you didn't even no, know what I you really, didn't know? It's, 
Yeah, I, I was unaware of it. Okay. I, don't, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And so it God had to reveal it. Yeah. So I guess the question I have is, how does that happen? I mean, because I can relate to that. Imagine we all can. But what's going on there? How do we get hardened hearts? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because <laughs> mm. we're... Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Allison, Toby, anything you would add Absolutely. to that? <laughs> Help us out of a hole? <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, when I think of a hard heart, I think of somebody who um, isn't really seeking the heart of God. Because I'm not saying that you weren't doing that, Lynn. I'm just saying from, you know, your own. Well, at the time. You, you, there, there are reasons. There is a blindness that we have, okay? And there are blind spots that we have. And unless we have somebody um, speaking into our life about those things, um, in a loving, truthful way with grace, I don't, we may not see them, especially if it's a blind spot. And so, um, I also think that there's the aspect of growing in grace and understanding, um, that things don't always happen the way that you want them. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was an expectation of God to answer what you were asking for i mean i'm not using you specifically lynn but i'm just saying you know we get we have an expectation of god to do something for us we think he's everything is supposed to be great and we think that everything is um so wait wait wait, wait. where does that come from where does that expectation come from because because it, it seems very pervasive especially in america I think it comes from a, a false message. I think it comes from something that's not the truth. I think it comes from, um, you know, I, I know it did for me. I mean, <laughs> it came from um, believing something that wasn't true. And it was about believing a lie. And there are a lot of people out there, which, you know, the Lord calls us to have discernment about these things, to really know what the truth is, because, when we have an expectation, like we're talking about, um, we're not allowing God, I think, to, to do what God does. In other yeah. words, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be in control. I'm trying to make things happen that I want to happen versus, well, God has a plan for you. God um, is going to answer your prayer when he's ready to answer your prayer and so we worship while we wait right <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> but that's not always the case and so <laughs> I think it frustrates us and I think that it's very difficult and very hard when things don't happen the way that we want them to but that's a release of um self it's also Jason when you say where does that come from I mean it's a false religion and I like what you said too, Allison, about, you know, it's not truth. And it, it goes back to Adam and Eve. I mean, that's, yeah. there was maybe, and maybe this is along the lines of the answer or more into it, Jason, is the, it's a desire. We get this desire. It's a false desire that we, that starts building in us. And that can go many routes. It can go into 
creating us to where we think we deserve this or yeah that we think we need this to live or we or uh, it can go to a lot of different routes but i think it's that it's a sinful desire that starts coming from lies is mm-hmm. a big thing yeah or i'm so good i'm i'm doing everything right i'm doing everything good god why aren't you doing this for me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, yeah so so can i follow that yeah, yeah go ahead Especially um, you, Jason, and, and Allison. Lynn, you don't have any children, I don't think. I do. Oh, you do. Okay, that's <laughs> right. You do, you do. Okay, so, so as parents, because I'm not a parent. So as parents, how, how do you level set that with your children? Because we have expectations around us all the time. I expect you to do good in school. I expect you to get all A's. Children have expectations of of day-to-day living. I expect wonderful presents from Santa Claus because I've been so good all year. So, you know, and, and Santa Claus is is something that happens secularly, I would yeah. think, uh, around around Christmas, which is really quite an important holiday. And so how do you guys level set your kids so that they understand their own expectations in the reality but also within the the religious concept yeah i think there's a i'll throw in just a couple things then you can jump in uh with kids there is an importance to like clarity black and white rules like this is the rule and here's why we have it and this we need to follow it but i think helping having them understand the aim of the rule like it's for a good and this is the, what that good is is important i don't know that they fully get that as a kid i think that comes later and so uh but th- i think there is a huge danger and and there are a lot of cultural stories that i i do this like formulaic do x and y and then i get z and life is a lot more complex than that and so i think it's important to, to understand that and the more that we can point to the heart of the matter, the better, but it, but it, with kids, it's just very difficult because until they get like high school and older, like they don't think conceptually or abstractly. It's, it's, it's usually, you know, right or wrong. And, and then they're trying to figure, once they know if it's right or wrong, then they're trying to figure out how to get around it so that they're, what they want to do is now right, even when it's actually wrong. <laughs> Len or Allison, what would you add to that? <laughs> I agree with what you just said, Jason. I think that, you know, you have to be very clear about what the rules are. And I don't see any harm when they're very young and offering rewards for, you know, following the rules um, or, um, you know, having um, consequences for when you don't. Um, I think there are limits to those, but um, I think as, you know, I can speak from my own personal experience in teaching my children specific things about rules, even though I may not have been following them, I was teaching them that. And, um, and about 14 years ago, when I really had my personal experience with the Lord and met him, I had a radical change in my life. And so my goal at that time, my mission was for my children to know that I had messed up, that I had not shown them what the truth was and that 
the reason they're doing certain things they're doing is because they saw me doing it and that, um, yeah. and I'm not saying they were doing everything, but what I am saying is, um, I think we have to come to our children and I'm speaking to as, as having adult children now and addressing that to adult children, not teenagers, but, um, adult children, I think we have to be open and honest with them and let them know, Hey, you know what? I messed up and, um, I don't want you to mess up. And so this is why we do it this way because, um, there's, there are good things and I don't mean good stuff happens. I just mean there's goodness that comes from that. You have a sense of, um, inside of you of living in a way that makes you feel in alignment with God. Okay. And so, um, well, one thing I went around undoing yeah. a lot and redoing and leaving that up to God too. Yeah. I think it's important to note what you're saying, which is at a broader level, we need to become the person we want our children to become. Right. And that's going to have more impact than anything else. I think. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Toby, is that, does that give you any answers or is it muddle the waters for? <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 it's interesting. And it's interesting to, to hear you all speak about that um, in a parenting mode. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to shift to the, the topic of the religious leaders and then the, the sign, this, they wanted to change the sign. And I wanted to throw this at you, Toby. You know, when I think of this, I'm thinking, I'm seeing the contrast between these religious leaders who are worried about the words on a sign, but have no interest about the life of this innocent man dying before them. I'm curious, you know, I, I think we can all relate when we think about people who are religious, perhaps even ourselves at times, where we are focused on the words on the sign and not the life in front of us. What, what would you speak into that or, or say about that? Or what kind of experiences have you had in that arena? I, I would say that on the words of the sign, I mean, not, not really understanding or knowing all the nuances around this scripture. Um, I would say two things. First of all, that words matter. And, and he wouldn't change the words because they mattered to him the way that he had said it. Is, is what I'm getting. Um, and I could be totally off base, but that, that's what's coming through to me is that these are the words that I put down and these are the words that I want people to, to read. This is the message I want to give out. Yeah. Um, and we do that all the time. I mean, all of us are marketers and <laughs> the way that we present messages, um, uh, you know, our, our, our words, especially authors, um, Allison and, and Jason, yeah. um, each word that you put into a book means something. Each word that, that Len and I put into a marketing communication means mm -hmm. something. And, and so, you know, taking that from the religious to the secular back to the religious, it seems like it's, it's going mm. full circle. So do we, 
so with that said, do we ever care more about the words than the people that they impact? If you want to influence people, yeah. then my answer probably would be yes, because the words influence and how they influence into, into the into the real meaning and, and into the real meaning of, of this particular scripture is how they influence. So words matter. And then why do they matter? Because they influence. And are you, are you really cognizant? Do you care about yeah. how they influence? And if your answer is yes, then let's go back to the, the, the good and the bad question. You know, is this for the good of the person? Is this for the good of society? Or don't I much care because power is intoxicating? Yeah. Lan, would you uh, add anything to that? What I have written, I have written, it, it kind of makes me think too of um, when we were talking about the last time I joined you. And we were kind of just talking about how I, I kind of get the I thought idea of Pilot just kind of being tired of dealing with people over and over so again over things. Like an apathy? <clears throat> like I just don't um, care anymore and I don't care about you. <laughs> and and more of just, annoy I, I don't know, I guess not, not caring, but just annoyed. Yeah. Um, because there was, there was a lot of people that were looking like they could be Messiah or claiming to be Messiah or gathering, having gatherings of people. And they were, I mean, this isn't the first time that Pilate heard of this stuff. So yeah. from the religious leaders coming again to do, say the same stuff again, claim this about stuff again. So they're, now they're coming up again with another thing. No, don't write that. Um, and writing stuff wasn't easy back then. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. um, it had to be either chiseled out or it had to be put on something like wood. I mean, if it was put on wood, let's see, what does it say exactly how they put it on there? So they put, uh, they wrote it in three different languages and Latin, Hebrew, and Greek. So all could read it. Yeah. I mean, that's not... Yeah. He, he, they already wrote it. They already put it on there on the sign. It's already up there on top above Jesus. You'd have to climb up there. <laughs> that's not a pleasant thing to be doing. Um, yeah, no, that's. Oh, maybe it wasn't up there yet. It wasn't up there. Do, do you see any hypocrisy in the religious leaders even asking about that? I think it's just more trying to get control and trying to prove them right themselves right we, we try to prove ourselves right so we're going to make sure everything that is out there that's speaking against us or that we, we don't want any doubts wrong. here <laughs> we don't want anything out there that's yeah that's going to make anyone think yeah. we're not in control or we weren't the ones that were right yeah allison anything I, I'm go sorry. ahead toby yeah go I, ahead I, I looked at this from from a, a personal a subjective and objective point of view so the the sign 
Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And that's, that's very objective. That's, yeah. that's like a placement sign. And then they wanted him to change it to the, to, he said, change from the King of the Jews to I am King of the Jews. And that's very, that for me would be a very, very different sign. It yeah. would be speaking from Jesus. It would be his point of view where the other sign would just be a, um, a, a statement. Yeah. So meaning they that, wanted to invalidate what Jesus was, what, it, what the yeah, sign was saying. Yeah. I am the king of Jews. That would be more powerful, wouldn't you think? Well, I guess I get the impression that they're trying to get him, they're trying to say that it's an opinion that's not true. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like he says that, but it's not true. That's my impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to add to to that just uh, my perspective and what I understand it. I believe that Pilate, like going back to what Toby said, words matter. I think Pilate came to some sort of reconciliation within himself that this really was true, even after he had done everything that he had done. I mean, even his wife had come to him and talked to him about this and that he needed to let him go free. And he didn't. And I think that at this point where he says, no, we're going to leave it like it is. I think it was, he understood it really was the truth. And maybe it was his way, his only, his unique way of saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. Um, Just a perspective there. Yeah. So let's jump into the, uh, the, the, the large chunk of this passage is people mocking Jesus on the cross the people walking by the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, pretty much everyone, everyone jumped in, right? Everyone got a chance to kick Jesus verbally speaking. And then even the guy next to him hanging on the cross says it and the other defends him. What's, uh, Allison, what do you, what what do you, what do you make of all that? And how true is that of all of us? (laughs) I just think about like social media for, as an example, like how oh, yeah. easily we jump on people and just chastise them every which way. There's one example of many, right? Right. Uh, well, I mean, I think if you apply this to our personal circumstances, we're so quick to judge people without knowing the story, without knowing what they've gone through without knowing what experiences they've had in their life or what they really do think. And maybe if something looks, maybe our filter's not right if we're looking at somebody and judging them. Maybe we think we're right and we're not, and there's pride there. Um, But I see that, you know, what they did to Jesus. I mean, they believed he was wrong. And, and so they were doing everything they could to bring harm to him, which is exactly what people do today. If they think someone's wrong, you know, Mm. they criticize, they chastise, they (laughs) judge, they, all the same things. So, um, yeah, Toby, you're, you're in the social media space. What do you think about that? Communication. 
No, when Allison says human nature is the same over 2,000 years ago as it is now, we yeah. just have a different way to, um, to communicate. And when I, when I was reading that passage, the first thing that popped into my mind was, gosh, these people are a bunch of bullies. I mean, to put it in extremely yeah. simplistic terms. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But there, there is a sense of, well, the, the cross is, the crucifixion by the Roman Empire was designed to, to destroy you to the point that you never existed. We want to remove you from, from our memory, so to speak. And it was, it was only, it was never done to Roman citizens. It was not allowed. It was only for um, people that were not citizens. So there was, there was an aspect of this mocking that was almost like it was it was actually their job it was their role to participate in this mocking because that further and entrenches the humiliation that goes with the cross right mm -hmm. and i i think it's i'm trying to think of some examples but i i think the partisanship politically is one example of that it's like well if you're for this politician or for that one and you're on the other side there does seem to be a sense of, all right, let's, we should jump and attack that person because that is our role in our group, right? A tribalism type of thing. That, that, that's one thing that comes to mind. I think there are probably other applications, but I have to think about it some more. Len, anything you would add to that, this, this humiliation dynamic that's unfolding? Um. I really like this, again, when I was bringing out just Old Testament that talks about all this, this chapter and such, but um, Psalms or Psalm 22, 12, you know, has my enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they're, they're open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. And then later on in 17, it also says, I count all my bones, my enemies stare at me and gloat. Um, I think going back again to the, you know, the verse of, we don't know what we're doing, but it's so easy for us to turn into that thing we don't like and how we can just tear into people like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, social media is real bad with that area, but. We become the monster that, yeah. I was going to say, it's only bad because it's so, the, ac the access to it is just so great. It's, it's very accessible oh. and easy. Yeah. yeah. But because, yeah, like Toby was saying too, it's, it's, it was bad 2000 years ago. Yeah. It was yeah. bad when time began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cain and Abel. After the Cain, yeah, Cain and Abel. So. So I want to uh, jump to the last part, this, the mother part, and um, dive into that a little bit more. I think what's interesting about this, one of the things that's interesting is how Jesus has be, been tortured and mocked and and everything he's on the cross he's dying as we speak and yet he's still not thinking about himself 
he's still thinking about his mother in this case. The responsibility, I assume his father, Joseph, died. So I imagine Jesus was, had a responsibility to his mother in and, and, and a, a direct way. And so it's interesting, you know, Christ is essentially not, he is not abandoning his responsibility. He is handing it off. And then he's also handing it off to the only disciple that didn't run away. Yeah. All the others are gone. That's an interesting dynamic. So uh, Allison, how about you start us out when you think about this dynamic? And, and I, I think for you and Toby, you know, as, as women in our culture and, and as I guess single women for many years, I don't know. How does that play into this, 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 uh, this part of the story? Hmm. How does that play into our lives? This part of the story? Yeah. Like, do you, do you personally connect like that? Jesus, you know, is Jesus essentially saying, take care of this woman who, you know, who in a culture, in right. that case, in a culture that it would have been very difficult to be a, a, a woman on her own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the orphans and the widows kind of caring for the orphans and the widows as, as Christ and other disciples spoke of. Right. I think, you know, when you think about what Jesus was doing, first of all, I think, like you said, the culture for women was very difficult. And, um, he was very concerned about her protection, I think, and her security. And so I think those are a couple of things that are very important to us as women today, security and protection. Um, and more and more so every day as our society um, around us declines. And so I think the way that, you know, I can tell a story of being a single woman and um, really needing to take care of myself. And this is in my later years, um, probably in my, um, early, late fifties and, um, a, a group of men in the family of God surrounded me and Jason, you were one of them who, um, helped me, you know, I had years of experience in work, but I didn't have work then. And uh, they surrounded me and helped me to be able to have financial security. And I don't mean they handed me money. I mean, I worked for it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it was a way for me to feel security and protection rather than um, thinking that I was going to be on the street. Yeah. Um, it was a provision that was made for me through the family of God that, I mean, I looked at them as my brothers yeah. and, and for me, they were showing me exactly what Jesus was showing us right then, how important it is to take care of one another. And they were really showing me and mentoring me how, um, what that looks like. And because I'd never really seen that before in mm. that way. And so I think there's so many women that um, are single. They, you know, they don't, they're children that don't have fathers. I mean, I, I believe that children whose 
fathers have stepped out of their lives and are not active in their lives are like orphans because they don't have that man in their life to love them and and model for them and sometimes that's a good thing but um but ultimately it's not and so i think that you know we have i think as believers we have a responsibility i mean human kindness says i'm going to do something to help others and if we're seeing I don't know this verse just dropped in my head and so um true religion is taking care of the orphans and widows and um you know when when we think about it from that perspective maybe that's what Jesus was showing us too right then um from the cross right as you said at the top the edge of death yeah um not concerned about himself not concerned about you know what he was going through, but I need to make sure that my mom is cared for yeah. before I leave this earth. Yeah. But then he came back. Yeah. <laughs> Toby, what would you add to that from your experience? I just, I think that it's a really wonderful and powerful um, um, piece of the scripture that Jesus is reminding people to take care of their parents. I mean, because so many people don't. I mean, so many people, for whatever reason, whether it's distance, whether there's some, some kind of a family conflict, their parents could still be alive and they don't take care of them. And that taken care of doesn't necessarily mean monetarily that emotional taking really critical as well and yeah. especially if your parents are still alive right now you have a wonderful opportunity to to say to do what jesus has said he was doing yeah. his so yeah. that that's the way it speaks to me you know it's love that care of your parents especially as they get older yeah len anything you would add to that First uh, John three eighteen, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so that we will be confident when we stand for God. Yeah. So, uh, Len, uh, let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh, you want to start out uh, closing us out. And then we'll go to Toby and Allison. Final thoughts on this passage? Um, I think I'll, I'll just go back to when I started off of uh, just, this is a really deep section of uh, the Gospels. And it is just been, studying this just been even even more deep that it that it has gone for me with looking into all the prophecy and stuff into this and reflecting on how my actions are you know when I don't realize what I'm doing you know and that change that I can be putting in to be glorifying God and glorifying his son 
when I'm made aware of those things that need to change. Yeah. Cool. Toby, what are your final thoughts for us? Well, as, as a new person to, to this, um, I, I was a little apprehensive, and Jason knows that, about joining this conversation, but it's been an absolutely delightful time for me. And um, it's been really um, uh, heartfelt to, to listen to you and especially the way that Jason has taken us through this scripture, there's so many little parts of it that I would never have delved in as deeply and, and had anything of. And I think what it showed me is that even though the scripture was written so many years ago, it's still relevant today, 2,000 yeah. years plus later. There's still lessons that we can bring into our own life. And I just want to end my little segment here with something that Allison said that I wrote down, which I thought was so brilliant. She said, we worship while we wait. Mm -hmm. And that just sort of sums it up. You know, we, we have to understand what's out there and then, you know, it, it will come in its own time. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, Jason, for the opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome. Allison, uh, close, us, close us out. Take us to the finish line. Um, well, it was a very, a, a lot of topics here, but mainly for me and I think for all of us, and as Lynn's shared too, um, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we currently live in a society where we have so many people, including ourselves at times, that do things that we don't realize that we're doing it. And um, we need the forgiveness of God and we need to be grace giving and show that forgiveness toward others. And I don't think that we'll see things change unless we start doing that. So, yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Allison. Thank you, Len. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, thank you everybody. Yeah, good seeing you guys. Good talking. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Share Life. For additional stories and systems to live better and work smarter, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. We look forward to having you listen in on the next episode of Share Life.